0: Om Sri Harim Paramanandam Upadeshtaram Ishwaram Vyapakam Sarvalokanam Karanam Tam Namamyaham We were on verse 139. Very beautiful verse. At the very end of this text, Aparokshanubhuti, Adi Shankaracharya is summarizing the, the methodology of Vedanta. The methodology consists in Superimposition and desuperimposition, adhyāropa apavāda. The Sanskrit terms are adhyāropa apavāda, superimposition and desuperimposition. What does it mean? No one teacher in India, in Hindi, he said, this adhyāropa apavāda, this method of teaching, is the heart of the advaitic, non-dualistic methodology. So what is it? The example of the pot was given by Shankaracharya. If you recall, first you have this pot. That's step one. Second, you introduce that there is something called clay, which is the material cause of the pot. So that's step two. The pot is made of clay. Okay, so far so good. Step three, when you, in, when you investigate the pot with respect to the clay, you find everything in the pot is just clay. It is clay through and through. What you touch, what you hold, what you wave, wherever you look, it's clay. In fact, there is nothing in the pot which is not clay. So clay is the only reality. Pot is not a separate reality apart from the clay. That's what you discover in third stage, which means... There is no real effect. We just said clay is the cause. If it's really a cause, there must be a real effect. Otherwise, what is it a cause of? So there is no real thing called a pot. So the clay is not a cause of anything new, any, any real substantial product called a pot. So the effect is gone. There is no such thing as a real thing called a pot apart from the clay. If... In the fourth step, we say that if there is no real product called a pot, then what is the clay a cause of? So the clay is not a cause of anything. It is clay and clay alone. The causality of the clay is lost. The clay remains. That object which you are holding, it remains as clay alone. Now, what have you achieved by this? You started off with what you were You firmly convinced that it's a pot. Now you end up with the firm conviction, that very thing, which you're still holding it, that it is clay. It's a kind of magic. You start off with a pot and end up with clay, but the thing is undisturbed. So what? Good for clay or good for the pot, what is it to me? If you look at it from the Advaitic point of view, you start off with this world. This world of experience. And then something is introduced, stage two, that there is something called Brahman, existence, isness, which is the cause, the material cause of the world. It is that isness with various names and forms which we experience as this world. Isness plus name and form. Book is isness plus name and form, book. Book name, book form, book is. It gives it its being. So, Brahman is that which gives being or existence to everything in the world and apart from Brahman everything in the world is just name and form or to go one step further name form and use nama roopa vyavahara name form and use transaction that's stage 2 stage 3 is when you investigate closely then isness is the only reality Name and form are not independent realities, just like the pot is not an independent reality, independent of clay. Other than clay, the pot cannot exist. Other than being, other than existence, things don't exist. It's a tautology. It's actually trivial. So, at the third stage, you realize Brahman alone, isness alone is the only reality. Everything else is a network of name and form. That is Maya. That's why it looks different. If Brahman alone is the reality and the network of names and forms has no substantial reality of, of its own, then what is Brahman the cause of? We introduce Brahman as the cause of this universe, but if the universe has no existence apart from Brahman, then what has, the, has Brahman produced? Nothing. So Brahman is not a cause of anything separate from itself. Hmm. Brahman alone exists. The causality of Brahman is lost. You started with the world, you end up with isness. Still the same word. You're still looking at this. But that isness which you feel within yourself I am, I exist. That isness is the essence of whatever you see in this world. Because whatever you see, whatever you experience in life is, exists, right? So, Brahman alone exists. The causality of Brahman is lost. You start off with the world, end up with Brahman. With, so this is from the point of view of isness. Take another approach. The approach of the seer and the seen. Of consciousness and its objects. Again, four stages. Look at it this way. Here is a world which you are experiencing. Stage one. Stage two... Introduce yourself as the conscious experiencer of this world. Stage two. First, material world. Second, material world appearing to consciousness. Second stage. Third stage, does this material world which appears to consciousness, does it exist apart from that consciousness? No proof for that. We have discussed all this. I'm going through these steps very quickly. No proof of that. You cannot... Talk about anything apart from your own ex- experience. So the third stage is the material world presented to consciousness cannot be proved to have any substantial e- existence apart from the consciousness itself. Third stage. And therefore, that experiencing consciousness, what is it an experiencer of if, if that what it experiences has no existence apart from it? There's no second thing for it to exist, uh, for for it to experience. So the consciousness remains, but it is no longer a seer or an experiencer. You started off with a material world, step one, this one. Second stage, consciousness is the witness or the experiencer of the material world. Third stage, this material world does not have any existence apart from the experiencing consciousness. Fourth stage, if it is so, if it has no independent existence apart from the experiencing consciousness, uh, then what is it that consciousness is experiencing other than itself? Just names and forms. So consciousness remains as consciousness without being the, the experiencer of this world. Same procedure, four steps. You started off with the world, you end up with consciousness alone. You started off with the world, you end up with isness alone. This isness consciousness is Brahman. Exactly like the pot and clay example. Here, Shankaracharya adds a very beautiful twist at the end. Avashishtam bhavet munihi. Instead of saying at the end, Brahman alone remains not as a cause of anything, or consciousness alone remains not as a seer of anything. Instead of saying that, He says, you alone remain. At the end, who remains? You start with the world and you end up with yourself. You alone remain, your real self. Avashishtam bhavet munihi. What remains at the end of this analysis is the sage. You the sage. You are the sage. He's talking about you. So you remain at the end. You start with the universe, and at the end of this analysis of the Advaitic, put it through the Advaitic machine, this machinery, this algorithm, at the end of, the, of it, the result you get is you, the consciousness, alone remain, or you, the isness, alone remain. Avasishtam mm-hmm. bhavet munihi. The reason it's beautiful is, after all of this analysis, one might say, okay, that's a nice philosophy, and there's something called Brahman which is finally there. Or something called consciousness which is finally there. Not something called consciousness. Not something called Brahman. It's you. They're talking about you. You alone remain at... uh, at, That is what is appearing as this universe and the experiencer of the universe. Just as you're still holding the clay, the pot, but uh, you say that it is clay alone. In the same way, you're still having this... You have this body and the mind and this universe appearing but you know all of it appears in one consciousness, which you are. So that is the end of the analysis. And remember, not just analyzing it, getting conviction about it, clarity about it, hearing, reasoning, and then finally, meditation. Shankaracharya taught us 15 steps or 15 practices of meditation to make the product of this reasoning, to make this conviction deep and clear so that you can live in the light of this realization. Hearing, reasoning about it, getting a conviction, deepening that conviction into realization, into absolute clarity, where you have no doubts, it is a fact for you. That is called enlightenment. People you know, they see these programs. This one has a lot of viewers around the world. So they send in questions. Some of them are pretty good questions. I thought I'll share a couple of standard questions with your good questions which I received recently, just this week, about this verse, in fact, which we just did last time. So you can see people are keeping up with the, um, with the you know, internet program. Two questions, and I'll farm it out to you. I'll get the answer from you. <laughs> Let's see. The first question is: Is that you said? That means I said, but actually I did not. Shankaracharya says this here: mm-hmm. that um, bra- that everything is Brahman. Brahman alone is the reality of this entire world, and. Um, ultimately this world is unreal so Brahman is not the cause of the world. If the effect is not there, then the cause also cannot be there. That means Brahman also is not there. Do you see the, the question? You said this world is an effect. The cause is Brahman. But you showed that the effect is an appearance. It's mithya. It's false. There's no real effect. So the cause is also if the effect is false, there's no effect, then there's no cause also. So Brahman is also gone then. How would you answer that? We have already discussed this. So
1: Brahman is not available as a cause.
0: Correct. The answer given is Brahman is no longer a cause. You cannot call it a cause of the universe because the universe has no independent existence. It's not a thing which has been produced out of Brahman. Right? But Brahman, that does not mean Brahman disappears. Brahman remains but you cannot call it a cause anymore. That's the answer. We have already discussed this, but it needs to be said. Once people start thinking about it, they start getting these questions. So, just as, the example of the pot and the clay applies very well here. When you said the pot is an effect and its material causes the clay, then next you say the pot is not really an effect. There's no such separate thing called a pot which was produced. So if there's no real effect, then the clay is not really a cause. That means the causality of the clay is lost, but the clay itself does not disappear. Otherwise, the pot you would be holding would disappear into thin air. The clay is still there. In the same way, Brahman is no longer regarded as a cause because the world is an appearance, it's not a real effect. Hence, Brahman is not a real cause. But that does not mean Brahman is not real. Brahman remains as real, distinct from cause and effect. In Sanskrit, karya karana vilakshana brahma. Karya means effect. Karana means cause, karya karana vilakshana brahma. This whole technology, this whole technique of introducing, of calling the world an effect, introducing a cause, then dismissing the effect, then letting go the causality of the cause and remaining with Brahman, this whole process is called adhyaropa apavada superimposition, desuperimposition. This is the methodology. The reason it is adopted is the reality that Vedanta wants to point out is present right here. It is you yourself and whatever you experience. But because we do not see it, because we do not see it, this technique is introduced to make us see it. Yes. So that's why he says, avashishtam bhavet munihi, you are that Brahman. Now let us go to verse. Oh, one more question. I said I will share one more question with you. Okay, you did your job, you answered this first question. The second question is, you said, again, I did not, Shankaracharya said. The question is, you said that you are the witness of the mind, therefore you are separate from the mind. So Brahman is separate from the mind. You said that. But later you said, everything is Brahman. This whole universe. Now you are saying that everything is Brahman then. Then the mind is also Brahman. Then why did you say the mind is separate from Brahman? How can the mind be separate from Brahman? If the mind is also Brahman, how can it be separate from Brahman? Can you tell me the answer? Yes. But ultimately, you said that Brahman is everything? You're right. Mind is an object. Brahman is the knower. The consciousness is the pure subject. You are experiencing it. What you experience must be different from the experiencer. Correct. But then the next, next, you said everything is Brahman. So how can the mind be separate from Brahman? Mind, does not have mind is an object
1: existence. in
0: your consciousness. What? The mind is an object in your consciousness. Right. Mind is an object in your consciousness. So is it separate or not separate? Then why did you say it's separate? The first step it's
1: is on to this. 1980
0: Right. So this is, you're right. Putting it all together, what he said, the first step, go on. The first step is 1980, not this, not this. Then?
1: Then you march everything back into you,
0: the Brahman. Right, right. So this is the procedure. This is the procedure in, in Advaita Vedanta. Two steps. Always remember this, otherwise there will be great confusion. Two steps. The first step is to discover the reality called Brahman. We don't know it yet. It's right there, but we are not aware of it. We don't understand it. We're just hearing it for the first time. So the first step is to step back from the material world, from the body, from the mind. Brahman, my real self, is not the body, is not the mind. Is the consciousness which experiences the body and mind. Whatever I can eliminate, intellectually eliminate, in your understanding, not physically. In your your understanding, what you can eliminate is not this, not this. You go back to something that you cannot eliminate. That is the witness consciousness. Then that's step one only. So what have you done? You have separated yourself, the witness consciousness, drashta, atma, brahma, pure consciousness, from everything else, from everything that is objective. What is objective? The universe is objective. Why is it objective? Because you can see it, hear it, smell it, touch it, taste it. You can think about it. You can speak about it. You can understand it. They're all objects. Go further. Even the body is an object. You experience it. Even the mind is an object. You are not the mind. You are the experiencer of your mind. So the mind is also an object. It appears to you. The misery, the pain, the happiness, the desire, the hatred. Everything in the mind appears to you. The understanding, Vedanta. It all appears to you, the consciousness. Is it not so? Please sit down. So that is just step one. You come at the witnessing consciousness. And then, now the question arises, you are the witnessing consciousness and here is this entire universe which you have separated from yourself. Correct? What is the relationship of this entire universe? This is not Advaita. Advaita is non-duality. It's a gross form of duality because there are these billions of entities and you are the witnessing consciousness. Now the question arises, what is the relationship of all of these entities? Are they really separate from you? The next step is in Advaita to merge all of this back into you. How do you merge it back? It's not like stuffing things into a bag. It's like then you realize just what we did now. The pot is nothing but clay. First you mentally it in your understanding, clay and pot. But are they really separate? Clay and pot? No. The altar and wood, are they really separate? No. This universe and the real you, are they really separate? No. This universe appears in you, the consciousness, just like the universe of the dream appears in the dreamer. There's a dream universe which you experience, but all of it is appearing in your mind, just like that. That's an example. Here in the consciousness, this entire experienced universe appears. So this universe is nothing apart from consciousness. Nothing apart from consciousness means not to. Consciousness plus a second thing called the universe, no. Consciousness alone. Hence, not to. Advaita. Advaita means to. Advaita means not to. So not to. That is the second step. Brahman alone is real. The world is an appearance. Appearance where? In Brahman. And who are you? Who am I? Brahman. Brahman. Brahma Satyam, jagat mithya jiva brahmhevanapara. That is the second step. So when the question was asked, is the mind separate from Brahman, you said, obviously mind is separate because you experience it as being separate, as an object. But then everything is Brahman? Yes, but in what sense? All of them are appearances in Brahman. They have no separate existence apart from Brahman. So first you step back from the appearances into your real nature and then see everything in the universe as an appearance of your nature. They are not apart from you. They are all one with you. Here is a beautiful point. I'll put it this way. See, none of this is, you know, they say, you said, but actually none of this is, I wish I had said it, but none of this is our original. I asked a great teacher in um, the south of India once, that, uh, I've heard your talks and recordings, and they are so wonderful, explanations of these texts, so I use them sometimes. And uh, I feel, am I violating your copyright or something? He burst out laughing, and he said, but... In that case, I have taken everything from Shankaracharya. So you are are free to take whatever you like from uh, my uh, talks. But that's true. So another way, this is a Swami who passed away a long time ago. Uh, He said it in Hindi. I will translate for you. This whole thing what I have been trying to say is this. He put it in one sentence. (laughs) Drashta drishya se alag hai. Lekin drishya drashta se alag nahi hai. Drashta means the seer, the witness. The witness is separate from what is seen, correct. But what is seen is not separate from the witness. This is the fun of it. It's like saying, the wood is separate from the altar. Wood is distinct from the altar. How do you say the wood is distinct from the altar? Doesn't seem to be so. It is, because before it was an altar, it was a log of wood. Before that, it was a tree. If the altar is somehow changed or, you know, expanded or destroyed, then it will become pieces of wood again. It will no longer be an altar. So the wood can exist quite happily independent of the altar name and form. So the wood is distinct from the altar. Correct? Step one. Step two. Is the altar distinct from the wood? This example you must be clear about. Brahman and the world later on. But... Example, you must have absolute conviction. You should not be, hmm, what is the correct answer? What does the <laughs> Swami want to know? You understand in what sense the wood is different from the altar? In what sense the gold is different from the ornament? In what sense the water is different from the wave? You understand that? Because they can, it can exist without the effect. But now I'm asking, do you understand in what sense the altar is not different from the wood? Because it cannot exist without the wood. It is only wood. The wave is not different from the water. The wave cannot exist for a moment without the water. Not only that, every bit of the wave is water. So drashta and drishya are different. Drashta is distinct from the drishya. But drishya is not distinct from the drashta. The drishya depends on the drashta. You, the waker, you are entirely distinct and independent from everything in your dream. But the things in your dream are Not independent of you. They have no existence. If you do not dream, they don't exist. But you are independent of them. You exist very well, whether you dream it or not. Exactly like that. Consciousness is independent of the entire universe. But universe is not independent of consciousness. You will say, good for consciousness. But it's you. (laughs) We are talking about you. ava bhavet munihi. Yes. Yes, yes. So what does he mean? Because consciousness cannot be experienced. Correct. So he, you will notice one thing. He lost all objective awareness. It's written there. The first time he saw Kali, it was not the form of the mother. First he said it's like waves of light everywhere. The waves of light is a very intense sattvic state of the mind. That is an object. And after that he says that subject-object awareness was lost. So he was not experiencing an object out there. He was that. Of course, later on he experienced the form of Kali. So God can be seen only with a form. You can experience the presence of God or feel the presence of God with qualities and with form. But here you are talking about something beyond that. The pure consciousness itself. Which you are. You can only know it as yourself. You cannot experience it as an object. Because that is what experiences everything is an object. That can never be an object, not a thing. Okay now 140 bhavitam tīvra vegeena bhavitam tīvra vegeena yad vastu nischaya atmana stadhi bhavet shighram pumang stadhi bhavet shighram he continues so that topic of cause and effect is concluded there now he comes back to the meditation on the Vritti, the knowledge of brahman the conviction Atmana, get conviction first how do you get conviction? conviction about what? I am Brahman. How do you get this conviction? Shravana Manana. Shravana means, first of all, you have to come to class basically. And the Manana means think about it, apply yourself to it. I am Brahman. Oh, Swami, you have said it. Shankaracharya said it. I believe it. No, that won't do. It's nice that you believe it, but it won't do. It won't do you any good. You have to understand it first. This Somebody said, is intellectual understanding realization? Not, but its realization is the deepening of that intellectual understanding. That intellectual understanding must come first in the path of knowledge. I'm speaking about the path of knowledge. Uh So that clarity must come first. Then it must deepen into becoming a fact of life, the most important fact of life. It is a fact, in that sense. So nishcaya atmana, conviction comes when you... Hear these truths, study them, and then think about it seriously. All doubts are resolved. Then, Bhavitam, meditate upon it. How do I meditate? Refer back 15 practices. And, Tivravegena, with intensity, not lazily. Slouching, snoring, meditation. What did you meditate upon? Nothing particularly, you was just sitting quietly. That won't do. Tevra vegena. Intensely. Then what happens? Pumans tadhi bhavet shigram. The person, the seeker, becomes that very quickly. The effect is fast. The the realization will come very quickly. Enlightenment, breakthrough, that insight will come very quickly. Becomes that. Bhavet. Tad. Tad means that. That means brahman. Now, becomes immediately, you must become alert here. Becomes means you don't actually become Brahman, you realize that you are Brahman. And he gives an example, which you find in the uh, classical texts. Brahmarakita vat. The Brahmarakita example means, the example is like this. There is a particular species of wasp, which when it lays eggs, it captures a small insect, prey, and drags it into the hole. Its nest and uh, leaves it there, paralyzes it and leaves it there so that when the little wasp comes out of the egg, it will have something to eat. So it eats that and comes out. Um, comes out from the from the nest, from the hole. Now, what happens is from a distance, if anybody watches this, what will you see? Here is the big wasp which catches a little insect, and drags it into its nest. And then comes out and flies away. After a few days, a little wasp comes out. A little insect went in and a little wasp came out. And so the popular myth developed, a you know, very nice example, that that little insect which was drawn, which was captured and pushed into the hole um, is terrified of the wasp which captured it. So it spends all its time there in terror, meditating upon them, meditating within quotes, (laughs) upon the wasp. So as it thinks day and night of the wasp, it gets transformed into the wasp. Actually, not like that, what has happened is, the other one, the little wasp has come out of the egg and eaten it up. And so when it comes out, it's not that the little insect was transformed into the wasp, but the appearance, it looks like that. Anyhow. The details of the example are not important. So, neither the wasp, nor the uh, insect, nor the larva, or n- n- none of that is important. What is important is that if you intensely meditate upon it, that breakthrough will come and you will find yourself transformed. Transformed also in a figurative sense. You will still look the same. If you think you're going to lose weight, you might, or you might not. Somebody was criticizing the sadhus. He said, these sadhus, they're either as thin as skeletons or as fat as elephants. <laughs> <laughs> now, you it's not that diseases will be cured or your relationship problems will be solved. It might later on because you'll be a much wiser, calmer, better person. But what happens is you realize yourself as Brahman. Practically speaking, it's a great transformation. It is a great transformation. Here, by the way, let me... Add. Mention something which many people, especially advanced students who have been studying it deeply, they come upon this question. The question is, this enlightenment you speak of, is it an experience or is it a knowledge? Mm. Why does this question come? First, we must understand the context of the question, I'll tell you in brief. Because when you look at the lives of enlightened people they always seem to speak about God experience, God realization, and it seems to be an experience. When you look at Ramakrishna's life, Mr. Ramakrishna, so many extraordinary experiences. So this ultimate realization, Brahma jnana, definitely the visions of gods and goddesses, they are experiences. There is no doubt about it. But this one which we are talking about, I am Brahman, is it something that you realize? Is it something that dawns upon you? You get it, that means a knowledge? Or is it something that you experience? Something happens and you experience it. Because you look at the lives of enlightened people, it seems to be that, that some very powerful experience comes. Life transforming experience comes. It seems to be like that, from the biographies of saints. Again, when you look, read something like this, study Vedanta, it seems to be knowledge rather than an experience. So which is it? Enlightenment is an experience or A knowledge. The answer is, from an Advaitic point of view, it is certainly knowledge, because they keep on saying jnana, realization, knowledge. But, practically speaking, this breakthrough, when it happens, it's so powerful. It's so overwhelming. Yes, you get it. It's a breakthrough. It's a clarity which dawns upon you. It's like a veil. Why one veil? All veils are suddenly lifted from your eyes. Like the Buddha said, I am the awakened. So, this awakening, you're awakening into knowledge, awakening from ignorance into knowledge. But it is definitely very powerful. And there is no harm in calling it an experience. It's probably more powerful than any other experience. So, it certainly feels like an experience. So it is knowledge. It, it has to be knowledge. Brahma jnana is definitely knowledge because literally it means brahma jnana, enlightenment about Brahman and knowledge about Brahman. But it's not uh, just, when you say just knowledge, most people have something like reading a book and getting an aha moment. I understand the math problem or physics problem. I've cracked this uh, problem. Not that kind of an aha moment. Much deeper. Much deeper. Very powerful. You'll never forget it. One sign is you'll never forget it in your life. Another sign is, it will never get confused. Another sign is, it will always be available, with, you, no effort is required. Experiences, you know what happens, experiences by themselves, they come and go. Even very sublime spiritual experiences, which is not enlightenment, it comes and goes. So you will have a beautiful vision, hear a sound, or see something, or feel a sublime you know, uh, upliftment, then it goes away. Why does it go away? Clearly it will go away. Because if it was not there earlier, it will not be there later on also. You'll say, what about enlightenment? It was not there earlier, so it will not be there later on. No. Enlightenment about what? About Brahman. When you become enlightened, one thing you will see is, it's not that I was not Brahman, I was this person and now I am Brahman. No. You realize, I always was. And everything was Brahman. Forever, without the slightest disturbance. Su- this suchness, the Buddhist seven word, word, suchness. This suchness was always there. You just have come across it now. It can never go away. So no confusion can come. Now, but spiritual experiences, like any worldly experiences also, they come, you experience it, you are exalted, uplifted, you feel sublime, then it goes away. It remains as a blessed memory. A very beautiful memory. Here is the distinction between enlightenment and that kind of experience. Enlightenment doesn't remain as a memory. It remains absolutely as it was the first day you stumbled across it. Absolute, like a shining diamond unfazed by anything in life. It cannot be, you can see, when you when you come across it, you will see it is something that can never be disturbed by anything in life. You can clearly see It, it is such a thing that um, thing I am using in a It's such a thing that can never be damaged, distorted, confused, lost, ever, whatever happens in life. The Bhagavad Gita says, Not even the heaviest of sorrows can shake you. Meaning thereby, in an enlightened person's life, sorrows will still come. By past karma, things will happen. In the world, things will happen. In the body, things will happen. So things will happen. And some of them will be bad things unhappy things so sorrows will come but the difference is if you are ignorant person is swept away it's terrible for that ignorant person but for the enlightened person who realizes that i am brahman will never be swept away there will always be this this firm refuge this solid refuge which cannot be shaken by the heaviest of sorrows you cannot be shaken Not only that. Established in which there remains nothing greater to be attained. You will clearly feel, once you get it, nothing more in life. Everything else in life will continue and things will happen. You will get things in life. Achievements will come in life. But you know that you have got what human life is meant for. There is nothing more in life that is greater than that. So that is Bhavet Shigram. You become like that. That is the meaning of this verse. Then he goes on. One hundred forty-one. Adrishyam bhavarupam ca, adrishyam bhavarupam ca, sarvam eva chidatmakam, sarvam eva chidatmakam, savadhana tayanityam savadhana tayanityam svaatmanam bhavayet buddha svaatmanam bhavayet buddha let the wise one meditate continuously on what Swatmanam. i myself my own very self is what Jidātmakam, pure consciousness. Pure consciousness. And, sarvam eva. This pure consciousness alone is everything in this universe. Time, space and object, whatever is in the universe, whatever was and will be, everything is in this very self which I am, pure consciousness. Sarvam, what is this sarvam? Everything. By everything he says, he uses two words, a little cryptic. Adrishyam bhavarupam. The invisible and the visible. What do you mean by invisible and visible? The different ways of interpreting. I'll give you two ways. First, a more basic way and then a deeper, more advanced way. The basic way is this. Adrishyam drish, uh, Bhavarupam. Literally, if you translate, it means the invisible and the material. The Bhavarupam material universe is what is open to our experience right now. Whatever you see and whatever you hear, smell, touch, taste, that is rupa. But there is also, it is called, in other words, pratyaksham, what is revealed to your direct experience, sense experience. But there is also, you know, that there is a greater universe out there, which you have read about, uh, in your geography classes, in your astronomy classes, there's a tiny universe all around us which we do not experience right now, which you have read about in biology, in physics. Yeah. Then religion tells you about something else. There is something called heaven, hell, and so on, and these things like that, which is, uh, you take it on faith. So all of this, the exp- the universe that you do not directly experience right now, and the universe that you take on faith all of it is called paroksha beyond our sense experience so that paroksha is called the invisible here so the entire entirety of experience whatever you experience plus all that exists but you do not experience it all of that is sarvam everything and it what is that chidatmakam it is your own self consciousness you are everything Everything shines in you. But remember that very interesting distinction. You are distinct from everything, but everything is not distinct from you. You are independent as pure consciousness, but this entirety, whether pratyaksha available to a sense experience or paroksha invisible, all of it is not distinct from you. It does not exist apart from you. So you are all of it as pure consciousness. That is... One, the basic interpretation, which means prapancha, universe, the Sanskrit word for universe, prapancha. sthula prapancha, this physical universe, made of five elements you see. sukshma prapancha, the subtle universe, all our thoughts, memories, ideas, feelings, the subtle, the minds within, the cosmic mind. sukshma prapancha. Beyond that, causal universe, karana prapancha. karana means, Maya here from which all of this has been projected. All of this is also pure consciousness. Chidatmakam. Stula prapancha, Sukshma Prapancha, Karana Prapancha are all pure consciousness. Well, okay, good for pure consciousness. What about me? You, the pure consciousness. Okay, so I am a part of pure consciousness, not a part. You're the whole. The entire this is such an ocean in which then each drop is the entire ocean. We think of ourselves as drops in an ocean, but we, you are the entire ocean. There is no part and whole here. The moment you think of part and whole, it becomes visishtadvaita, qualified monism. In advaita vedanta, there's no part and whole distinction. So all of it is you, the pure consciousness. So This is the basic way of approaching it. So this is basic. What could be advanced? The advanced way is different. It's like this. Remember, we're talking about these two terms, invisible, and visible. What do they mean? So the advanced way of looking at it is this. The invisible means drashta and the visible means drishya. You, the the subject, the experiencing consciousness, the witness consciousness, and whatever is witnessed, so whatever is witnessed, bhava, rupa, material. And the witness itself is the consciousness itself, the witness consciousness. Both of them are none other than pure consciousness, which is Brahman. Brahman alone is the witness, and it witnesses the universe, but what it witnesses is also Brahman. Just as you, as the dreamer, you project a dream world, and you are also there in the dream world, as an experiencer of the dream. You have your part to play in the dream. But you, the person in the dream, and the world that person experiences, the totality of it exists in the dreamer's mind. In the same way, the experiencing consciousness and everything that is experienced They both of them are none other than that consciousness which is Brahman. This is the deeper way of understanding. It is beautiful that he used the word invisible for the experiencing consciousness. Invisible adrishyam meaning whatever is drishyam experienced, not just seeing, seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, tasting, thinking about it, imagining it, conceiving about it, understanding it, expressing it through language inferring it believing it all of that that it is object it is called called bhava it is the it is matter material so in vedanta the concept of the material is not just physical matter even subtle matter sukshma prapancha mind thought idea that's also material why is it material because the the definition of material of matter is very clear, very elegant in Vedanta. Anything that is an object of experience is matter. Apply it to your life. Whatever you experience, it's matter. That which experiences it is drashta, the witness consciousness. And what it says is this so-called matter and the drashta are both pure consciousness, chidatmakam, which you are. That is Brahman. Yeah. Yes.
2: and then regarding consciousness you can witness the workings of the mind as subject and object yes from what you said a moment ago a more profound explanation of this it sounds like there is a level of reality which is even behind Consciousness witnesses. Yes. So there are sort of two levels, the mind and the workings of the mind, the witnessing consciousness and what that consciousness witness, which can also be the mind. Uh So there is even a layer of reality, one wants to call it that way, which is behind the witnessing consciousness.
0: Uh Is is this what you want me to comment on this? Yes. You can put it that way. What he said, and I'll just summarize for a lot of people who watch on the internet and their constant gripe is we can't hear the question. So let me just summarize the question, is that it's from what I just said and again what Shankaracharya said. And by the way, these this two levels of um, explaining, invisible and visible. Again, I cannot claim originality there. There's a beautiful commentary written on this book by Vidyaranya 700 years ago in Sanskrit. He gives these two levels of uh, explanation. All right. Now, one is the experiencer and the experienced. drig drishya, the seer and the seen, this distinction. And then, from what was just said, it seems that underlying, behind both of them, underlying them, there is another layer or a deeper substratum of reality which appears as these two. Yes. Remember that the witness consciousness is the ultimate reality. But if you stop at the witness consciousness, look at this very word, witness consciousness. It means there is something to be witnessed. And that something is, just the language itself seems to show that it is separate from the witness. Because usually the witness is separate from what it witnesses. In in legal court cases, the witness is somebody separate from the goings-on who can testify to what went on what this deeper level the ultimate level of reality of existence consciousness shows that this what you witnessed is also not separate from the witness it is the same witness consciousness the deeper level of reality to answer your question directly the deeper level of reality which you might call nirguna brahman is the same drashta the same witness consciousness but if you stop Why at all speak of the deeper level of reality? Why not stop at the witness consciousness? If you stop at the witness consciousness, you have stopped with duality. You have stopped with... This is exactly Sankhya philosophy. The Sankhya philosophy says there is consciousness and there is nature. Prakriti Purusha. You are consciousness. You are not nature. What we have done, what is bondage? We have taken a part of nature, this body and this mind, as myself, and I have forgotten that I am immortal consciousness. What does Sankhya teach me? Shows me, all of these techniques are mostly borrowed from Sankhya. We in Vedanta, Advaita, are very good. We um, take away, a lot of subcontractors are there. This whole idea of pure consciousness as distinct from object, seer and seen, drashta, drishya, viveka, separation, through uh, inquiry, philosophical inquiry, entirely taken from Sankhya. Uh, long before Advaita came into the scene, Sankhya, this was a Sankhyaan idea. Of course, you may say they have taken it from Upanishads, which are the root texts. But anyway, Sankhya got this idea. Kapila Muni is the person who should claim the patent and the, uh, the idea of pure consciousness apart from matter, nature. The idea of using meditation techniques, all of the techniques Shankaracharya spoke about. He gave his own spin on it, but they're all borrowed from yoga of Patanjali. The logical techniques of analysis which we use are all borrowed from the Nyaya philosophy, which has a vast literature. The techniques of understanding, the, the hermeneutical techniques of how to understand texts, analysis of texts—it's called hermeneutics, in Sanskrit, Mimamsa—that is taken from Purva Mimamsa, the the part which deals with the ritualistic portion of the Vedas. So from the different systems of philosophy, we have taken the, the, the components, and then we assemble it together and put a stamp on it, made in China. <laughs> 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 really
1: it like shadow like shadow has
0: no existence: like it goes with you, but then you don't Shadow is a good example. But what I'm saying is here that um, so a lot of it's just an aside point which I'm making. There are a lot of uh, the things which we use here. If you actually trace, if you open the machinery of Advaita and take out the individual components, you will find they are made in different places. <laughs> we have taken it together, put it together and given the put Brahman on top of everything. I am Brahman. And I say it is Advaita. But we must acknowledge, and Shankaracharya clearly without any grudge, he always acknowledges. The f- teachers who came before us, we are indebted to them. You know, We stand on the shoulders of giants. Yes, Yes. so the deeper level of reality, that is what Advaita says, otherwise if you stop at the seer and the seen, you stop at Sankhya philosophy. But that witness consciousness and the deeper level of reality, they are not different, they are the same uh, reality. Another additional point here, um, parallel to this, it, it is of interest to religion. People feel uneasy. All of this philosophy is very nice. But what about my beloved Lord, the God of religion? What about my Krishna or my Christ or my Vishnu or Shiva or, or the Divine Mother? You're not talking about that. So, this very pure consciousness, jidatmakam, we said, pure consciousness. When you invest it with causality, it becomes the cause of the universe, God of religion i'll repeat that you saw in the th- the four stages which we did pot clay and pot clay only as the cause of the pot and then the causality is also gone clay only exists that's what that's what we did the universe brahman as the cause of the universe then we realize it is the universe is not real there's no real effect called the universe and finally brahman only without causality but in the third stage, if you stop, Brahman is the cause of the universe. Hmm. And in Brahman, the universe appears. Brahman alone appears as the universe and you stop there. You don't go any further. Retain Brahman with its causality. That is Brahman plus Maya. That is the Vedantic cognate of God of religion. You see, the theistic God in every religion, not only in Hinduism, in all the other religions which are theistic, Um, God is seen as the cause of the universe. Our father, the creator. So God is somebody who has created some power which has created the universe, which sustains the universe. And in the Hindu view, which will ultimately dissolve the universe back into itself. So the cause of the universe, that is God. If you stop there, you get God of religion. Now this God of religion and Brahman, are they different? No, they are the same thing. If you invest the world with any kind of reality, then Brahman becomes God. If you divest reality from the world, suck it back into Brahman, then Brahman alone remains as Nirguna Brahman. Am I making sense? Yeah. You're talking about very rarefied things here. Yeah. But remember all the time, you're talking about you.
1: You're talking about you. Yes.
0: That's where causality lies, Brahman identified with the entire universe, sthula prapancha. Brahman identified with the cosmic mind, sukshma prapancha. Brahman identified with maya, karna prapancha. That is God, what, what you in English you might call God, Saguna Brahman in uh, Vedanta, Ishvara or Saguna Brahman. And that in Hinduism has myriad forms, myriad uh, mythologies, myriad ways of worship, that's there. So this is the connection. Vedanta does not falsify God. I'll I'll put it precisely this way. Um, It might raise hackles. Uh Vedanta does not falsify God. Vedanta dismisses with the Godhood of God. Ishwaratva of Ishwara is dismissed. So, not that Ishwara is dismissed. Ishwara remains as Nirguna Brahman. A good example is given. You see, when we become monks... Sannyasi. So before becoming monks we were novices brahmachari and the brahmacharis have tufts of hair Shikha. So when you become a monk one of the rituals is cutting off that tuft of hair and with mantras chanting of mantras casting it into the holy fire It's part of the Viraja home of the, the uh, fire sacrifice by which you take leave of all fire sacrifices. You give up the entire Vedic structure w- way of life and become a sannyasi with, with permission, formal permission from the Vedas to abandon the Vedas, the, the uh, uh, ritualistic portion of the Vedas. So you step out of the formal structure of Hindu life, the traditional structure. Now what happens is, symbolically, you let go of that tuft of hair. Alright. Then you become a monk. You become Swami so and so. Earlier you were called Brahmachari so and so. Now you become Swami so and so. Now here is the thing. In Sanskrit, if you have that the tuft is called Shikha. What is it called? Shikha. If you have that Shikha in Sanskrit you are called Shikhi. The one who bears a Shikha. Shikhi. You are called a Shikhi. The moment that is cut off and put into the fire, you can no longer claim that you have that tuft of hair. So you cannot be called a shikhi. What happens in sannyasa? The shikhi is gone. Mm. But has the person gone? No, the person is very much there. He is here right now. Swami so and so, sarva (laughs) priyananda. Just doesn't have a uh, shikha. So you see, exactly like that, saguna brahman, eeshwara, when the maya, power of maya is falsified, you realize that it is an appearance. It has no substantiality. Then, Saguna Brahman remains as Nirguna Brahman. Ishwara remains as Sachidananda. That's it. What about the world? What about everything else? Before this, Ishwara was the cause of the world. Omnipotent, omniscient, om, uh, omnipresent, creator of the world, ruler of the world. After this, then Ishwara is not that anymore. The world is nothing different from Ishwara. It just shines forth in Ishwara. It's a manifestation of Ishwara. Not something that Ishwara has created. That's what happens. Let me... You have a question somewhere? Somebody had a question? Yes. So just going back to your previous words. is it okay to ask a question? Sure. Okay, so when you were explaining knowledge
2: and experience, you were saying, is this knowledge or is this experience? Hmm.
0: Yes. So my understanding is, is it not that what you are seeking, you are already that? Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what is happening is, I'm giving you a very simple example, just understanding it. If I have my car keys in my pocket, mm. all of a sudden I realize that the car keys are in my pocket. Yes. So there is no new knowledge as such. There is knowledge taking place. Mm. If I realize my true self, mm. Yes. Is that going to be like a huge big experience, practical purposes, or is that going to be a knowledge, or is it just a realization? I'm already that, I didn't know that. Right. It is just realization. She's asking a question about whether it is an experience or a knowledge. What I said was, philosophically speaking, logically speaking, it's a knowledge. As Advaita Vedanta says, it is knowledge. You realize I am Brahman. But your question was, is it? will it be a such a big thing? It will be a very big thing. Having the example of car keys, that itself gives you such a big relief. Oh, thank God, it's in my pocket. <laughs> Imagine if you suddenly realize, I am immortal. I am not subject to life and death. I was never born, I shall never die. I am not subject to disease. I am not subject to decay. I am one with the entire universe. Nothing can hurt me. My, my, uh, my bliss is this universe. Imagine if you realize that. And you have that. You have always had that. You didn't know it. You come upon it. And you know that you have it forever now. Wouldn't it be a big thing? It would be the biggest thing in the world. You would be a Buddha immediately. You would be. So you, what I'm saying is, let me put it this way, philosophically speaking, logically speaking, it is a realization, it is a knowledge. It removes the ignorance, the ignorance that I am a little body mind, and it's a knowledge. But psychologically speaking, it's a big deal. For that little person who suddenly bursts out of that little personhood, as I often say, the person you are will never be free, but you will be free of the person. It's a big, big moment. So if somebody says that it's an experience, yes, an enlightened person would, he's not being philosophically accurate, but psychologically it will be experienced as something fantastic. Yes. So, the two questions, I'll come to you. Yeah, she asked. Swami,
1: uh, it seems by the literature that we study, Janaka, Ramana Maharishi, are the three of them, upon this experience. It was really like something very, very huge. And then after that, then they came to settle on it, and you can say integrate into it, or
0: yes, become it. I don't know how to say it. Yes.
1: Uh, how, how do you explain it? It is. It, it will. It will happen that way. It will. It will. Inib- 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 be like you will get this thing that you will overwhelm with and then you will be released of it and you will settle on
0: it? Right. You will come across The question is that Ramana Maharshi or Ramakrishna and others, we, we read their stories. They have this profound experience and then they realize who they really are and then they settle down on it. Yes, there's a period of, there's a, period of a breakthrough and there's a period of soaking it in. And settling into it. The difference will be, earlier you were seeking, now you have found it. Having found it, you seek to stabilize yourself in it. All these meditative exercises are for stabilizing yourself in it. This period of stabilizing, you are still not considered fully enlightened. This period of stabilizing yourself in it is called Brahmanishta In Sanskrit, Brahmanishta means literally dedication or stabilizing in brahman. That's also a period. That's also... Before you are considered fully enlightened, you soak in it. You become surcharged with it. It becomes your only reality. Okay, last comment before I go on. You had a com- comment? in
1: the context of key, that I think you already answered, but in my case, if I realize I forgot the key, and then it helps me
0: in future as an experience not to repeat the mistake. all right yeah that's a good observation yes now 142 drishyam hi nitva drishyam hi adrishyatam nitva brahmaakarena cintayet brahmaakarena cintayet vidwan nit Nitya sokhetishtet, vidwan nitya chidrasapurnaya, diya Beautiful verses, all. It says, and it gives you an indication how to meditate. Merge the drishya, the experienced, in the experiencer drishyam hi adrishyata nitva merge the visible in the invisible what is the invisible? you the experiencing consciousness why is it invisible? because it's not an object you are not an object of anything you must follow every word of it and it, it should resound as yeah it's true then you are following carefully you are adrishya invisible what do you mean? So I'm sitting right here in front of you. That's the body. It's an I can see it as an object. You can also see your body as an object. Even your mind, it's an object. You can see it as an object, all the thoughts, and if there's a telepath anywhere here, you can that person can also see your mind as an object. But you, the experiencer, the experiencing consciousness, you are not seen by yourself. You are ever the seer. And nobody can objectify that. So you are. They always the invisible, that means the seer, merge the visible, the seen, the experienced in the invisible, the seer, the experiencer, merge object into subject, merge material matter into consciousness, merge how? Not physically, not with a hammer and a pestle and something like that, pound matter into consciousness, no, in understanding. How can I, by understanding, reduce this physical world, vast, dense, physical matter into consciousness, into thought or consciousness? How can I do that? How you do, Just like you reduce uh, the entire, entire uh, dream world, trees and rocks and lakes and sky and people and cars, such material things, big buildings, all of Manhattan, all of America, all of the world, into what? Your mind. How difficult is it? Very easy. All you need to do is wake up and see that it, oh, I was dreaming it all. But it seems so solid earlier. In the same way, right here, all of this is an appearance in consciousness, not separate from your consciousness. This is merging the physical into the invisible, the, the world into the invisible consciousness, which you are. Brahmaakarenachintayet. Then, see it as Brahman, that I am Brahman, I am all of this. The commentator, Vidyaranya, writes it very well. Idam sarvam Brahmeva ahamevacha. Everything that I experience is none other than Brahman, which is I alone. I alone am that Brahman. Once you do that, then what happens? Vidwan nitya sukhe tishtet. What a beautiful thing. The wise one remain in eternal bliss. Remain in eternal bliss. Nitya sukhe. Unbroken bliss. Remain in unbroken bliss. How? He says, Dhyā chidrasa pūrnaya. The mind of that enlightened person. The mind will still function. That mind of that enlightened person will be none other than consciousness and bliss. Chit ānanda. Chidrasa Mind will be full of the light of that consciousness, the bliss of being one with the universe. You can't escape from it. That's a real high, not drugs. <laughs> it's an eternal high, which you cannot you cannot escape from it. And it, it can get so overwhelming that Sri Ramakrishna would try to divert his mind into mundane matters. I'll drink a glass of water, I'll do this, I'll do that, so that I can keep my mind rooted in the world. Not in the flights of samadhi. Dhyā, chidrasapurnaya. What a beautiful way of putting it. By a mind immersed, soaked in the bliss, uh, soaked in consciousness bliss. Chidra sapurnaya. Mind soaked in consciousness bliss. Should we finish this today? No. Uh, There are two verses. The next class will be the last one, where I'll quickly, these are two concluding verses. Shankaracharya makes a couple of observations, and then he concludes. Um, We will do that next time, and I will give you a summary of the whole teaching. How it bears on our life, how it will illumine our life, and then we will conclude, bring this journey to a grand conclusion next Friday. Aparokshanam Bhutti, direct realization of Brahman. But today, let me end with a little joke, which I can't resist telling. It's really silly, but I can't resist telling. This... um, what I mentioned just earlier, shikha, the tough, tough hair. And when you cut it off, it's an insider joke. <laughs> <laughs> among monks. I heard it in the Himalayas, among monks. So the monks, well, the traditional Hindu monks, when they cut up the, the tough, tough hair and throw it into the fire, and then they become a swami, a monk. Before that, you are a novice, brahmachari. So the difference is having that tuft tough, tough hair and not having it, having a completely shaven head or a tough, tough yeah that's the difference. Now once Swami put it this way, that once you go from becoming a brahmachari to a monk, all that has happened is you have gone from having an ordinary antenna to a dish antenna.
1: <laughs>
0: I don't know if it makes any sense to people here. In, Earlier in yeah. India, in the TV sets, we used to have these this, uh, cables and like, like, a, like a, a wire with prongs, you know, uh, metal antenna. And then later they had these dish antennas. So the dish antenna is your shaven head. <laughs> That's the dish antenna. <laughs> and earlier, the novice has an ordinary antenna, the little you can
1: capture
0: Brahman.: Yes, you can capture Brahman. You, you get much better reception. <laughs> that was the joke. I met a Swami there, uh, let me tell you the background to this uh, funny thing also. In the Himalayas, I had met a Swami, we, to have your begging bowl. And so this Swami, who was a wandering monk, who stayed in a, uh, I think in a hut or a cave in there when I was there. Um, he had his begging bowl, what he would do is after eating, he would wash it clean and dry it and then put it on his head and put his turban around it. So they called him Antenna Baba. <laughs> because he has a dish on his head, so that's a dish antenna. <laughs> so that's how the joke came up, yes. Uh, Maharaj, uh, I see
1: a, a possibility, a light of a mouse becoming a lion through the knowledge. Yes. So how would Vedanta reply to that? There was never a mouse, there was never a lion?
0: Or the lion was, there was always a lion. <laughs> it thought it was a mouse. <laughs> the story of the the sheep becoming a tiger. Swami Vivekananda, the the lion, there's a very very uh, interesting story about a about lion, not tiger, lion, uh, about a lioness who died giving birth to a cub and then the cub was uh, brought up by a flock of sheep and it thought it was a sheep and it would, um, it would uh, you know, bleed like the sheep and eat grass. It was very, very, a little too big to be a sheep but anyway it would play with its little sheep friends And when one of the lion was hunting, it saw a huge lion in the middle of a flock of sheep and eating grass and thought, this is really weird. So he stalked that sheep lion and pounced on it and the sheep lion bleated. Let me go, sir. Let me go, sir. You're scaring me. Um, But the lion dragged him to a pool and said, look at your face and look at my face. What I am, that thou thou art. You are that. Now roar like me. So finally he roared and he realized that he was a lion. So there's a sheep who became a lion, but became is within uh, within quotes. Unless the sheep is a lion, cannot become a lion. So it thought, And we do the same thing. We put various limits on ourselves. Realize, we think we are little bodies and minds and we are in terror of the world. Anxiety, terror, little hopes and lusts and passions and lots of fear and, and terror an inevitable death uh, death in, in front of us. That's how we live our lives, lives of quiet desperation. Most men live lives of quiet desperation. But we need not. That infinite source of love and strength and peace and light is ever shining forth within us, continuously, continuously available to us. Right now, every moment, without slightest diminution, Doesn't matter if you are rich or poor, very learned, or very successful, or um, you are unhappy, alone in the world, or sick, or even dying. None of it matters, even a little bit, compared to that that source within us. It's available. These books, this teaching, it takes us to, to that. Points it out. It gives us what is already available. I'll end with that. Vedanta, they say in the Himalayas, What does Vedanta do? Praptasya prapti nivrittasya nivritti. (laughs) What does it mean? It gives you what you have already got. And it drives away what was never there. The sheep was never there. It was driven away. And the lion was already there. He attained his own lionhood. You are the Atman always. You attain your realization. I am the Atman. I am Brahman. You never wear this little person. And this... Error of thinking that you are a little person that will be driven away. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanam Astu.